Welcome to the Simply DV podcast for Monday, October the 30th, 2006. Hello, I'm Colin from Simply DV, and this week I'll be talking about how you can digitize your older analog recordings, either VHS or Hi8, to DV tape or direct to your computer. I'll also be considering the issue of when to and when not to use tripods, and in particular I'll be giving you some tips on what to look for and how to get the best out of it. And whilst I'm on the subject of digitizing old analog assets, I'll be talking about a new book that's just come out that covers everything from digitizing old cine and video to scanning and retouching old pictures and even digitizing your old vinyl records and audio tapes. Another content-filled and action-packed Simply DV podcast? It certainly is, so don't go away. I mentioned in the intro that um, one of the things I was going to talk about today was how to digitise your older legacy recordings, that is to say the stuff that you might have on VHS or Hi8 or Video8 or maybe even Betamax, who knows, uh, into your computer and onto DVD or some other destination like a Windows Media Player file or a QuickTime file or out to your iPod even. Now there are two ways of essentially doing this. The first way is that if you've got a camcorder that has AV inputs you can use those to copy the material from your analog tape into your camcorder and then from the camcorder across to your computer using the normal capture or input routine. Now the AV connections that will take the signal from your camcorder to a TV or to an external recorder are provided with just about every mainstream camcorder. And as I said, they're used primarily for outputting to make copies from or to view the signal on your tapes or discs on your TV. And the most recognisable set of cables are the ones that have yellow, red and white connectors. These are called composite video and stereo audio connectors. They use RCA connectors to pass the signals to the TV and to the video recorder. An alternative connection is a round one with pins in the middle called an S-video connector. And this carries a signal uh, that's described as YC component. It's only appropriate for SVHS or Hi8 analog video. It's no use with material that's not SVHS or Hi8. But if you're transferring from an SVHS source or a Hi8 source, then use that particular plug for the video, not the sound, the video, and you don't use the yellow. So that's how you're making connections from a camcorder to a TV or an external video recorder using the AV cables. And if your camcorder has an AV input facility, then use the same cables in order to get the signal into the camcorder. And it's by this connection that you can then set the VHS or 8mm tape running and re-record it to the tape in the camcorder using the method described in your camcorder's manual. There are some variances on how you actually do this. But in the main, you have the camcorder set to play, believe it or not. But again, as I said, check the manual uh, because there's a number of different ways to do this and they can be a little bit confusing. So you need to check precisely how you're supposed to do that. And once you have the connections made and you know how to get the signal into your camcorder, you may still have another choice as to how you get the material into the computer. Now, the most obvious way to do it is simply to re-record your VHS tapes to the DV tape or digital 8 tape in the camcorder. 
But there's another way. This uses a means called pass-through recording that's available on some, but not all, DV camcorders. And that is that you have the signal playing in on the AV inputs from the VHS machine, and it comes into the camcorder. The camcorder then converts it to digital, but it doesn't need to re-record it to tape, if you wish. It can send that converted signal straight out again and up the firewire cable to the computer. So the computer can capture the digitized conversion at the same time as you're playing it out of the analog player, okay? And we call that pass-through recording. You won't know whether or not you've got that unless you check the manual of your camcorder. And as I said, some do and some don't. Now, of course, if you're recording to, say, DVD in the camcorder, there's a few DVD camcorders that enable you to accept an AV input signal and record them direct to the DVD disc in the camcorder. Now, that's quite a good way of doing it. And again, once you have the clips saved on the DVD disc in the camcorder, you can then import them using the same means as if you were simply importing clips that you'd recorded on your camcorder in the normal way into your computer. OK, so that's an option that you have. Now, of course, if you've got a standalone DVD recorder uh, that you use to record your movies and stuff off the TV, then that actually provides another alternative, um, which is a third one, really, which I didn't list at the top. Um, it might be that you've got a VHS recorder or your analog camcorder and you've got AV inputs on the DVD recorder. Many of them do have it. In fact, the majority of them do have AV inputs. So it's simply a question of connecting one to the other, selecting the play button on the VHS and the record button on the DVD recorder and re-recording your stuff to DVD that way. And then you can put the DVD disc into your computer and import the files using an appropriate bit of software that will enable you to do that. So that's another means. Now, the other major alternative to using a camcorder to effect your conversion is to use a standalone analog-to-digital converter box. Several companies make these, but the two principal ones are Canopus and Melia. Melia spelled M-I-G-L-I-A, by the way. The Canopus ADVC units enable you to connect analog sources, as I've said, VHS, Video 8, or perhaps even the output from your satellite decoder box, and feed the converted digital signal to your PC or Mac via FireWire. And in some cases, the units will do it via USB 2 as well, in the same way as the camcorder would perform as described earlier. Now, the advantage of this is that the unit can sit in place permanently beside your computer, and of course, it frees up your camcorder as well. Now, I use both Melia and Canopus devices, one on my Mac and the other one on my main editing Windows PC. And they're both really excellent. They provide two-way functionality in that they can convert from analog to digital and digital to analog. So I can copy stuff from VHS or three-quarter inch tapes from an absolute pile of analog tapes that I've acquired over nearly 30 years and uh, they'll then send the converted signal up the firewire cable to each of the respective computers and from where I can then get on with editing processes and they do this using a pass-through capability obviously they're not recorders they're just converter boxes so I send the signal directly through them and up to the computer and they're captured in the computer I've got a Melia Director's Cut Take 2 box which also gives you a live SCART output um, if you don't know what SCART is see the Simply DV website where there's an explanation of it in its own little section 
in the info base. So I use the SCART inputs to uh, enable me to permanently monitor everything that I'm editing on the timeline, such as in Adobe Premiere, on a regular TV screen. Okay, so whatever I'm editing on the timeline, I can see on a TV and I'm watching what I'm editing. And that's very useful. And again, the Melia Director's Cut, and I think also the Melia Director's Cut SCART, will enable you to have that permanent live connection. And it monitors what's coming in through the box and it also monitors what's going out through the box. And and it senses which way the signal's travelling automatically and switches accordingly. And that's really useful. Um, Canopus make a similar device, but I've forgotten what it's called. Okay, so that's the basis of uh, AV to digital and digital to AV conversion. There is a web page on the Simply DV website devoted to it. So if you go to any simplydv.co.uk web page, have a look at the links on the left-hand side. And under Info Base, you'll see a page with the link AV to DV inputs. Have a look at that because what I've done is I've provided some diagrams to show how things will typically fit together and a detailed explanation of that process. Okay, so have a look at that and find out more. Now the second piece in our podcast this week concerns the use of tripods. Lots and lots of people buy camcorders and an accessory bag and a few other bits, but they don't buy tripods. Now, there's nothing essentially wrong with that. After all, it depends what you intend to use your camcorder for. And if you're the sort of person who's bought a camcorder to take on holiday with the kids and you want to get shots of them playing on the beach or by the pool or doing other crazy stuff, then the chances are that you won't want to lug a tripod onto the beach uh, in order to set up proper shots and direct them accordingly. You just want to pick up your camcorder, switch it on and record what's happening when you see it happening. And that's fair enough. But there are instances when you might well want to use a tripod. Lots of retailers will try and sell you very low-cost tripods that, to be honest, are more suited to stills photography than they are video photography. The very light spindly ones that you can buy for only a few pounds or dollars are those that can only really be useful to a camcorder user if the camcorder is set up on them and they're locked down and you're not trying to do any camera moves with them such as pans and tilts or worse still pans and tilts. The big problem with very low cost tripods is that they're very very spindly and they're very light and a good tripod needs to have some good weight with it but the more important thing is all of the bearings and all of the moving bits have to be such that you've got to be able to uh, lock the camera and then just slightly unlock it when you want to make a pan without causing any jolts or moves within the shot itself as you're recording. Now, ideally, uh, a, a camcorder that's made to a high standard would be such that you can, for instance, be doing a tilt from, say, the sky down to the ground in front of you, and you'll be able to stop the tilting motion, take your hands off the tripod, and it should be able to just stay there. Now, only really, really expensive tripods and pan and tilt heads will be able to provide that. The very cheap ones will certainly not be able to provide that. And the lowest cost ones at all won't even be able to provide a smooth pan or a tilt. So if you're looking at buying a cheap tripod, then use it only for the purpose of positioning a camcorder on it and then setting it recording and leaving it alone. You won't be able to do much else with it. Of course, it might be that you're at a nice sunny location on holiday or vacation and you're at a nice viewpoint where you can get a, a beautiful panoramic shot of, of a bay or a mountain range or something and you do actually want to pan from left to right. The way you have to do that is to be very, very careful 
rehearse that shot a couple of times and really control even your breathing when you're doing it because if you're breathing erratically then that will be transmitted through the pan handle and you'll notice it even in your movement so you've got to be really careful about even performing what are essentially simple moves using very very cheap tripods and again I suggest that you set up shots more like you would with a still camera and then just run them for the duration a good well composed static shot is more effective even on video than a badly performed pan or tilting shot now in terms of setting up a tripod there are a couple of things you can do even if it's a relatively low cost one and the first thing to do is don't get in the kind of pickle that people get into with legs people put a camcorder on the tripod they open the legs out and they stand it they lift it up to extend one leg and then they lift it up the other way to extend another leg and then they lift it up on the third leg to extend that one and invariably the things aren't the right length and they have to start again the quickest way to set up a tripod so that all of the legs are extended to a roughly equal length is to hold the camera before you open the legs out then set the releases on all of them and drop the extenders down to the floor now you can adjust the position by moving the whole tripod up and down on the three extenders and when you're at more or less the right length then lock them and then open out the legs and then place them down on the floor that's the easiest way to set up a tripod if you need to make minor adjustments of course you can do that with each of the uh, the locks on the legs themselves and then the other point about using a tripod uh, concerns the locks and the drags we call them the drags on the pan and tilt head itself with the camera in place set the tilt lock so that it doesn't do an up and down movement and set the pan lock so that you don't get any left to right movement now if you want to do a panning shot from a point on the left across to a point on the right for instance then just very slightly loosen the panning lock and position the shot now the idea is that you should be able to just make the slightest movement in order to free it and then you can pan from left to right and as soon as you get to the other end you only have to make a very slight movement on the lock to lock it back again and for a smooth shot you need what's called drag ideally you need to be able to apply force to the panning movement to the handle and it should give you some resistance and if it still flows smoothly from left to right whilst you are applying force and it is applying resistance then you'll get a smooth panning shot but when you get to the end of that pan just slowly ease off the pressure don't just stop it because that way you'll get a slight wobble and the process is exactly the same when you're tilting from high down to a low shot just get to know the locks where they actually kick in and when they don't and don't force things that's the worst thing you can do now another test of whether a tripod is good or not is to actually apply all of the locks tightly okay so tighten the whole lot down with your left hand just put your hand on the the pan and tilt uh, mechanism and make sure that the tripod is securely seated make in other words just secure it in place and make sure it can't wobble and then with your right hand just actually try and wobble the head on the camcorder so just apply a little little force to the left or to the right if the shot still wobbles left or right and there's visible movement on the shot then that's the best you're ever going to get with that tripod so if you're ever testing tripods in a shop or in a specialist retailer or perhaps even at a video fair an exhibition and you want to test how good that tripod is going to be for you then test what movement you get when all of the locks are on and that's a really good indication of how good a tripod is okay um, I guess in summary of that one uh, all I should really say is that with tripods 
you really do get what you pay for. So budget as much as you can for the best tripod you possibly can in order to be able to shoot the best quality material that you can. But if you buy a good, well-engineered tripod that might even cost you a lot of money, it'll be money that you're not wasting, I promise you. Now, as you probably know already, my second book called Need to Know Digital Video, which has just come out on HarperCollins and which I have been promoting mercilessly on the website and elsewhere, is the book that took up much of my time for the first four months of 2006. But I've actually been quite busy because I've co-authored another book as well. This book is called Go Digital, Keep the Past Alive and it's available on Evergreen Books. And the essential idea of this book is to show you how you can convert and restore your old film and photos to digital prints, uh, your cine film and tape to DVD, your old audio tapes, your tape cassettes and vinyl to CD and even MP3, and old files onto new computers, you know, so that it shows you basically how to get old analog, what we call legacy assets, off their respective media and into the digital domain. Now, I spent um, a good month writing part of this book along with three other authors, one of whom was the editor of my first book for Ilex Press and uh, Lark Books in the USA. And what I've contributed is the section on cinefilm and videotape and how you can get your old assets to DVD and perhaps iPod and so on. Now, just flipping through the book that I have right in front of me, and it's a beautifully designed book, I've got to say. I didn't design it, so I can say that quite you know, quite openly. Now, I've contributed section two of the video, which deals with video, and just skipping through the book right now, we have uh, two-page spreads on a whole range of stuff, including how to convert your old cine films into video. What do you have to do in the simplest and cheapest way to get them onto videotape? What you do to convert your VA and Video 8 analogue recordings uh, and get them into the computer in the way that I've described in the first section of this podcast, in fact. I look at computer hardware for both Windows PC and Apple Macs, um, video editing software, stuff like Pinnacle Studio, Uli uh, Video Studio, uh, Adobe Premiere Elements, and on the Mac, Apple iMovie, and then some stuff on how to simply go about splitting up your footage, cutting out the bits that are obviously gashed that you don't want, and how to tidy up and rearrange the bits that you do want, um, how to apply transitions, where you can use them, how you can improve the picture quality, how to apply simple digital effects and filters, um, some bits on improving and balancing sound, how to save your edited projects back to digital tape in the camcorder and how to make DVDs. So everything from chapters and menus to burning the DVD using the range of software that I've, um, that I've mentioned. And I've also made some mention about how you can prepare your files for export to iPod video as well using the built-in codecs that exist now in many of the programs. So in summary, I mean, that's it. The book's called Go Digital, Keep the Past Alive. It's available on Evergreen in several languages. I've got six different versions that's been sent to me by the publisher. I'll put some information about it on the website when I find time, but suffice to say that the design work is is really impressive. It's very, very good indeed. I love it. And there are lots of illustrations on every single page, so there's, there's more space devoted to illustrations than there are to text, actually. Ilex produced this book for Evergreen, and one of the things that I like about Ilex is they use really good designers for page layouts and so on, and it really does make the whole thing jump off the page, so it's very good, okay? So, go digital, keep the past alive, and uh, I'm one of the four authors... Uh, and I actually wrote the bits on cinefilm and video uh, to enable you to digitise your old analogue assets and do something sensible with them in the digital domain. 
Uh, and that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Yet again, uh, I'm steering clear for the time being of uh, camcorder reviews, but we are expecting some very interesting products for the new year as we get news of them or as I get review or preview samples of them i'll discuss them in the context of these podcasts as well as on the website so so that's it from me colin at simply dv thanks for listening and i'll catch up with you again next week bye now this simply dv podcast was produced using pinnacle podcast factory for pc and mac also apple garage band 3 which is part of the apple ilife 06 package